Hi, my name is Brian Dunstan. For much of the past three decades, I've been in the business of storytelling, both in front of and behind the camera. It didn't matter where those stories came from, news, sports, arts, and entertainment. Wherever they came from, a story was the thing. Which brings me to why I finally decided to do a podcast. I've come across a story that resonates, hopefully with everyone. A great person doing great things. And what's greater than someone who's willing to take what they've learned and use it to help others? To help others heal, to help others move forward, to help others achieve greatness. That is what Dr. Nikos Apostolopoulos does. This is the story of micro-stretching. So micro-stretching had to start somewhere, but before micro-stretching became what it is, this mm -hmm. wonderful way to help people heal mm -hmm. and to make them better at what they do, whatever their chosen field is, be there a Joe or a pro, um, Nikos had to come from somewhere. So let's find out more about you, Nikos. I mean, uh, you're obviously a man who's got some experience in the world. So where did all this come from? Where did you come from? Well, I was born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, uh, from a Greek family, Greek immigrant family. That's kind of obvious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the name like Apostolopoulos, for sure. Yeah, you can't miss that. Nope. But I was never an athlete. To tell you the truth, I was never an athlete. I was always the frumpy, overweight Greek kid mm. that often had to prove himself to a lot of people. And then, well, let me interject here. Cause I can, I can say that when I first met you, I remember when I first met you was yeah. back when I used to go play basketball at the university of Toronto at hard house. And you didn't look like the frumpy Greek kid back then. In fact, you looked pretty jacked. You were pretty intimidating and intense. Oh, thank you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> That's the funniest thing you should say that because uh, my ability to or my want to be accepted by other people is what drove me to try to be this athlete that I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And it was mainly, and I hope a lot of people can relate to this, but it was mainly an external, uh, how do you say, um, a reward. Yeah. It, was, it didn't come from within me because I, my whole mandate was to prove to other people that, hey, here I am, and dudes, I can do just as much as you guys can, if not better. Well, you know, there are people that sometimes look at that as a negative thing, that you, you need to find the challenge from within to become all that you can be. But there's nothing wrong with looking at something else and having a goal and saying, oh, look at that. I need to get to that point. I need to get to where that person is. The external driving factors can sometimes push you towards your goals. True, very true. I mean, funny you should say that because, <laughs> you know, when we were growing up, Arnold Schwarzenegger was mm. pretty big and it was the Terminator. And, and for some unknown reason, I had to get myself a pair of gargoyles as well. <laughs> so I could be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, you, you know, know, if you're going to choose a goal to strive towards, Arnold's not a bad one. No, it wasn't. It yeah. wasn't. He wasn't. And I mean, to me, I've university days for me were basically, I don't know, uh, sitting in a seat was wasted for me. Mm. I basically wanted to just train. Yeah. And that's that's when you met me. But uh, actually, what was so funny in grade 12 at uh, Riverdale Collegiate, I actually weighed close to 200 and 
260 pounds. Wow. Yeah. And it's a big kid. Uh, it was a big kid. And I'll tell you how I lost it. You, and I don't recommend this to anybody. <laughs> I actually was playing American football with a bunch of people in Greece. And mm-hmm. uh, I went to catch this one guy who went by me. And in Greece, I don't know if you guys know, but uh, to get to the basement, it's all external. It's not internal from the, from the building itself. So I actually uh, basically flew at this guy tried to catch him he went by me and next thing you know i am lying on my back 13 feet uh, on cement wow and for some unknown reason guys this is why i don't recommend doing this my body went into shock and i i went to greece this was in 1979 with a 46 inch waist and i came back with a 36 inch waist so what happened in that accident that caused you to... I have no idea. My body may have uh, shocked its m- metabolism or something. Mm. And then uh, I started becoming noticed by people. Ah, so once again, the external driving factor. Exactly. To become better. Exactly. And physically better. Physically better. And I would do stupid feats or interesting feats at Heart House where I remember, I don't know if you were in the weight room when I was training, but I remember... Once in a while, I hit uh, the weight room. <laughs> yeah, I would get on uh, the... Remember the old universal leg presses? For sure, absolutely. Yeah, I would do... And I kid you not, guys, I would do like uh, 2,000 reps nonstop for yeah. half an hour. This yeah. is this is how crazy I was. The My guilt, my not my guilt, but my drive to be better than everybody else and was my MO in yeah. life. My, you know... Uh, my mode, uh, what would you say? Mo is uh, operandi. Mm-hmm. My, but all that gave me some success because I was a good rower. But when I went to British Columbia mm-hmm. in 1987-88 is when I went to British Columbia. Um, January 25th, 1989. I actually went to British Columbia for cycling. Uh, I wanted to be a track cyclist, wanted to go to the 92 Olympics in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So this is where we become... This is where micro-stretching starts, yeah. guys. And yeah. let me tell you something. Again, what's interesting about my journey is if I didn't have that accident in 1989, mm-hmm. where I was hit by a car that ran a stop sign... Um, and this happened while you were training to become an Olympic level track cyclist. Correct. So you're on the road. I was actually in Stanley Park on Stanley Park Drive Park Driveway or Parkway, it's called. And and then basically what happened was uh, this car ran a stop sign. Uh, and I was hit on my bicycle. I was spun. And I hit uh, my helmet and my head hit this edge of a curve. My helmet cracked in half or actually split. And I was knocked unconscious for about five minutes. But coming out of it uh, at the time, the biggest thing that I was dealing with then is now I can't prove myself to anybody. Instead of becoming... Did you have that realization the moment you came to while you were lying on the concrete? I did. Wow. And it was almost like I am... Did you know how badly you were hurt at that moment? I actually felt pins and needles down on both sides of my hands from my neck. I had a uh, big gash in the left side of my uh, face, which I still have the scar for it. Mm -hmm. 
But the thing that really went through my head was, and this is why I really caution a lot of people out there, try to make your motivation internal as opposed to external. So Mm -hmm. for me, I became a hood ornament for a car. That was my (laughs) legacy, you know, and that's basically um, how micro-stretching got developed because... Well, let's talk a bit more about the injury that led to the development of micro-stretching because you had a pretty serious neck injury out of this accident. I did. I did. When I was knocked out for about five minutes, I came through through my coach um, at the time, Joe Mm -hmm. Haley. He actually, uh, because of shock... I got up and he said, lie down. I laid you down. You actually stood up? I had stood up. Did you know the, the extent of your injuries at that moment? No, I didn't. Of course not. No, I didn't. I was in shock. And yeah. then the, uh, then the um, ambulance came. There was a spinal board. And when I was in the hospital at St. Paul's in Vancouver on uh, Burrard Street, that's when I started realizing how bad this might have been. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. What were your injuries at that point? Um, they diagnosed a neck injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, and later on with an MRI, there was actually an L5, L6 uh, disc, disc protrusion. Um, but Which means you pre- came pretty darn close to breaking your neck. Yes. And yes. And uh, let's put it this way. I was millimeters away from affecting what is what we call the phrenic nerve, which is the nerve that controls your diaphragm. So Mm -hmm. I was also millimeters away from being on a respirator for the rest of my life. And uh, the thing is, um, again, where my head was, was I wanted to keep proving things to people, so this was taken away from me. Mm -hmm. But the injury ended up several years later, so this was 1989, but in 1992, I actually had to go in for spinal fusion. So my C5, C6 is fused right now. And this was an outcome of that accident? Correct. It was an outcome of that accident where actually the disc, instead of protruding outwards, it was protruding inwards, putting pressure on my spinal column. Mm. So, but it's in the aftermath of all this stuff that I needed to find the ways and means to heal myself to get better. That I, because in in between, in the interim between the injury and the surgery, there was about a span of two, two and a half years. And it's within those two, two and a half years that I tried everything. I tried traction with physical therapy. I tried acupuncture. I didn't do any chiropractic manipulation on my neck. Mm -hmm. But I tried to find ways and means of being able to handle the pain so that way I can still, the drive to compete was still within me. And it was external that I wanted to find any which ways and means to be able to compete aggressively because I actually recovered pretty fast after the initial motor vehicle accident. Uh, So about a month and a half later, I was back training again, which... That's remarkable. Yeah. But that was a credit to your level of fitness at the time, too. Correct. Right. Correct. And also, guys, you got to be careful with a lot of the anti-inflammatories because uh, back then I was prescribed Voltaren... Yeah, Yeah. which is, uh, the problem is that I think 
being driven to compete, being driven to basically prove myself to other people because, hey, what better way to sort of show all those people that used to make fun of me, calling me Fat Nick uh, at high school that, hey, I went to the Olympic Games, I competed at the Olympics, what have you done with your life? The external drive once exactly. again. Exactly, the external drive once again, Brian. And mm -hmm. that's, and this is why I, I actually am talking to about, a, I, I guess to a lot of other athletes out there that are looking at the same thing, an external drive. But guys, it's gotta become internal for it to, to really mean yeah. something to you. There's nothing wrong with having the combination. Like, no. it, sure you need that external drive, but it's, it can't be all. It shouldn't be everything. No, and it shouldn't be everything. I yeah. mean, imagine I became a hood ornament for a car. That was my legacy. <laughs> However, uh, in between that and trying to find ways and means of being able to compete again, in February of uh, 1991 is when my whole left arm went numb and then when we went and did an uh, electromyogram there was no neural conduction in the nerve spanning from my neck and that's when I was told forget about the Olympics forget about competing you've got to basically you're looking at spinal surgery mm. now the thing that I want to caution a lot of athletes out there that may be listening and non-athletes that may be listening to what I'm saying right now guys you've got to become in tune with your bodies do not try to mask whatever it is, the pain through the use of drugs because they're very powerful. And I am convinced that part of what caused that degeneration in my uh, neural, uh, my nerves was the fact that I was masking the pain with by taking 10 to 12 tablets a day. I just, it was the drive of being able to compete. And let's backtrack for a second here, yeah. Nick, because you're able to recognize all of these factors because of what you went to school for. Correct. So what did you go to school for? I went to school at physical health and education. That's where I got my first degree from the University of Toronto in 1985. Mm -hmm. And uh, subsequently since then, as you well know, Brian, I have my PhD in inflammation and muscle physiology from England um, because I that's basically what I what piques my interest. My interest is about helping the body recover and regenerate and uh, diminishing inflammation because basically injury is inflammation. Mm -hmm. So so you talk about being in tune with your body. Correct. You were in tune with your body. You knew what makes the body work. You know what makes the body work. Correct. I was in tune with my body. I know what made the body work, but also I was willing to take the drugs to be able to compete. Uh, and let's be clear here, though. That was the prescribed route for anybody who was coming back from injury. If you need Correct. to be able to deal with the pain of the injury, there are prescription medicines out there that are necessary, supposedly. Correct. And uh, one of the other drives that led to the development of micro-stretching was the need to be able to diminish the dependency on the drugs themselves and give back the power to our bodies. Because, hey... The body is, knows a lot more than we give it credit to. And we try to override it mentally, but it knows what it needs, what paths it needs to follow in order for it to get better. Well, so, speaking of paths to follow, yeah. out of all of this, you somehow come up with micro-stretching. I did. What and took you towards that? Well, you guys are going to laugh, but uh, back then in the 1990s, what used to be 
the preferred form of stretching amongst uh, athletes and trainers and uh, personal trainers and physical therapists and therapists in general was this technique called PNF, which stands for proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. And for those people who aren't therapists, what exactly does that mean? Well, basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to uh, trick your muscle into increasing its range of motion by working through the proprioceptive tissues, which we call them the muscle spindles and the Golgi tendon organs. The muscle spindles are within the muscle belly, mm -hmm. and the Golgi tendon organ, Brian, are found between the muscle and the tendon. So if you, let's say you jump off a box and you land on your feet and your muscle is starting to stretch because of the weight that is trying to support at the same time, which we call an eccentric load, your muscle spindles need to fire to prevent the muscle from over uh, stretching because it can get damaged. And then the Golgi tendon organ's job is to be able to sense tension. And if there's a great sharp rise or an increase in tension, then your system needs to work in a way to protect the body. What's interesting, guys, about PNF stretching is when I was watching a lot of practitioners stretch their patients this way, a lot of these people would be stretching through pain and discomfort. Now, let's segue to the 1950s. Um, PNF stretching was developed by Dr. Stanley Kabat and a physiotherapist by the name of Mary Voss. And what it was done, why they developed this was to deal with child onset paralysis. Guys, as you will know, kids that have some paralysis aren't able to generate the same amount of force as us who are healthy people. So then PNF has a good, uh, how do you say, um, uh, ability or it has a good place in helping with trying to increase as much range of motion by, re, uh, how do you say, relaxing the proprioceptive tissues to give these kids range of motion. And now take that to a healthy population, athletes and non-athletes who are actually the weekend warriors or people who want to get fit and then introduce that force in the now how proprioceptive uh, PNF works is you actually have a therapist let's say you want to stretch the hamstring muscles well the therapist will actually uh, get you to a certain point where they'll um, uh, how do you say increase the uh, range, knee, of motion. range of motion right. with the the knee so it'll give you more of a an extension in your leg and then you're stuck so what they'll do is they'll get you to push against them for about six to ten seconds so you would create what is known as an isometric contraction very hard contraction and then which low can be painful which can be painful correct brian but what's interesting about that is after those six to ten seconds of isometric contraction now you're able to move your lower leg a little further mm -hmm. so what all you've done guys is you've basically tricked your proprioceptive tissues to release but the next day you're going to have the same range of motion as you had before now let me segue a bit and say that pnf stretching is not bad I mean, a lot of therapists will use it uh, on the on-field to help an athlete get uh, past a certain sticking point so they can continue playing, but it's not something that has been shown to last. Mm -hmm. So getting back to how microstretching was developed, when I looked at all this stuff, and like Brian, you said earlier, I have a degree in phys ed, 
I sort of started doing research and lo and behold, uh, not only did I find out the origins of PNF stretching, but then I started saying to myself, there's something wrong with this picture. Why are we stretching to the point of pain and discomfort in order to increase our ranges of motion? Mm -hmm. And that was my big aha moment and how I actually was able to help my neck post-surgery because I did eventually have a spinal fusion in my neck. Um, Believe it or not, guys, I actually use stretching, but very gentle stretching. So I hung my bed, my head over the side of my bed, and I supported my head. And that's the key. The thing that you got to keep in mind with stretching is pain, discomfort, and support. You need to support the body in order to relax the muscle as much as possible, which in essence what you're doing is you're relaxing the neural system to be able to give facilitate that release in the tension in your muscle. And that's what I did, and that was the beginning of micro-stretching. So. And, and from that, that, that's where I got the phrase, it doesn't have to hurt to heal you. Correct, Brian. Because you shouldn't have to go through pain to get to an end goal of not being in pain. Correct. And the thing is, a lot of us think along the same lines of the uh, no pain and no gain. Mm. And let me say something right now, which is very, very important. When you're training, uh, and in order for your body to adapt, yeah, you do go through pain because what you're doing is you're causing uh, inflammation, you're breaking down your muscle tissue, and then you're building more tissue on top of that. And this is why you get your size or you get your adaptation. That's fine for training. But when it comes for recovery and regeneration, no. Mm -hmm. My research that we'll get into in another podcast uh, uh, which it was what my PhD was based on, has shown that if we take the body to pain and discomfort, we are actually counterproductive. We're not really helping it heal properly. Remember, recovery and regeneration, this is what micro-stretching is. It's not a stretching technique. Even though the name stretching is in there, it is literally a... I say micro-stretching is beyond stretching. Micro-stretching is... Uh, looking at stretching and re- re- repurpose it and re- redesign it because to me, stretching is uh, by far one of the best tools we have for proper recovery and regeneration. And when we say the term recovery and regeneration, what we're referring to is two terms but me- melded into one. Recovery means getting your body ready to uh, basically uh be ready for it to um, to train again, to compete mm-hmm. again. Regeneration is what happens at the micro level, what happens at the cellular level. And if you actually take the body to the point of pain and discomfort, and what you're really doing is you're causing more inflammation and you're not going to help your body regenerate properly. And this is what I look at with my technique of micro-stretching, which, you know, Brian, you've experienced yes, I uh, have. on the table. And everybody that I've worked with, the first thing is once they get off the table, there's this perplexion in their face as to what have you just done to me? I feel so different. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, I, very light on my feet. And all I have done is I've actually helped relax the neural system, which actually would then help because 
Sorry, Brian. No, go no. ahead. No, I didn't want to. But it's relaxed the neural system to be able to facilitate the regeneration, which is very, very important for the muscle uh, at the, the cellular level. So what was the point of discovery from just hanging your head off the edge of the bed to coming up with this therapeutic process that is so beneficial to the point where, as we said, it doesn't have to hurt to heal you? What was the, what was the process from going from that to... I actually started working with patients or uh, patients. Yes, mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough to be able to work with uh, a variety of people as I was developing this technique of microstretching. In fact, before it was called microstretching, it was called stretch therapy. I was probably the world's first stretch therapist ever. Mm -hmm. This is a term that was coined by me in the 1990s. Uh, written about me in several newspapers. Uh, they called me a stretch therapist. And again, I was looking at using stretching from a therapy point of view. And then... It's not just something you do to get ready for a race. This is actually going to help you heal. Correct. Correct. I mean, I've worked with a lot of, uh, as I said, I've worked with a lot of patients uh, from a variety of uh, backgrounds, from hairstylists to wheelchair athletes. I worked with the Canadian women's wheelchair basketball team for several years. I've worked with uh, elite athletes, uh, hockey athletes. I worked predominantly with uh, professional athletes, working with the Vancouver Canucks um, and uh, basketball with, uh, Vancouver, uh, with the Vancouver Grizzlies. I've worked with the Milwaukee Bucks. And I can tell you right now, and I've worked with people that have had fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, multiple sclerosis, mm -hmm. uh, rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis. Uh, the neat thing about working with these people of, uh, how do you say, with rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis is you are working with an inflammation, an inflammatory uh, issue. And lo and behold, by being very gentle, I was able to actually remove a lot of these people who are on rheumatoid arthritis drugs to help them feel better and get better. So again, the whole idea about being gentle and not taking the body to the point of pain was the whole thing that piqued more of my interest and my research as to, I honestly think we've been doing it wrong for all these years. That's a good place to end this uh, segment of our podcast because I think what we need to get into now is exactly what is micro-stretching. But everything has a beginning, Nick, and now we know where it came from. Well, thank you very much, Brian, and I hope uh, our listeners uh, will enjoy uh, this journey together with us. Good stuff. Thank you. All right. That's chapter one. <laughs>